This is Linux Unplugged, episode 29 for February 25th, 2014. Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that just put it all out there this week. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. I, I'm, I'm totally pumped up. Uh, we got a special guest in studio right now. Hey there, Chase. Hey, guys. Hey, Chase. Hey, how's it going? Man, I'm glad you're here today. Hey, you know, it's a beautiful day. It really and is. The best time uh, to be in uh, doing a show is inside when right. it's a nice day. Yeah, well, at of least course. we have the window cracked so we can get like some sort of fresh air. <laughs> have I told you how much I love this effing jam? This, this, this music, song, this Mr. Ronald Jankies, Jankies is the man. I know. That's why I have him on my boobs today. Uh, <laughs> I, but that's not the only reason. I mean, we're going to be talking about how to Linux and uh, brainstorming with our mumble room. You know, I figured... Right. If we're doing a show about Linux, why not have some of the preparation and some of the thought that goes into it and some of the logic and reasoning that goes into making a show out in the open, too? So essentially, wait, no, Chris, our, our source Chris, is going to be out there. Not, not a good idea. No? No, because then you're going to be spreading the secrets of the secret true. sauce. That's true. And then what's going to happen, Chris, is you're going to get these copycats. They're going to try to Chase, do it. I got to I gotta stop you right there. I don't there. know. The don't secret know. sauce isn't in the mechanics. Wait, what? It's in the content. Oh, God, that's right. I know. I, I, I know. forgot about that. I, sometimes I forget that, too. What? What, content? Yeah. Like this week. Content no. <laughs> king. Right? Actually, I'm really actually kind of excited because we yeah, just got too. our first test challenge coin in. Oh, my in. God. I felt it in my hands. By the way. I touched it. I touched it. <laughs> yeah. How did it feel, Chase? How it, did it feel? It was hard, yep. yet yet smooth, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it, it felt good to the touch. No, I'm talking yeah. about the coin. How did the coin feel? Oh, the coin was great. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. So, if you guys didn't know, I don't know. Maybe you live under a rock. That's okay. I I, I won't hold it against you. I just uh, just a little judgy. No, I mean this this coin. By the nice. way, by the way, the the picture coin comes with every last shirt. It does. Every last three hundred. And shirt. by the way, there uh, there's one thing that you're not seeing in this picture. What's that? The other side. The other side. Well, the other side. we're still perfecting the other side, but uh, uh, we're we're planning right now to have a, the Jupiter Broadcasting logo on the other side. It, it's cooler than the other side of the pillow. Wow, that's true though. Yeah. I do agree with you. So uh, yeah. if you've gone over to Teespring.com/slash/last300 in order to shirt that, you'll have one of those there coins Boom. very nice. soon. Each shirt comes with a coin until. We get to too many how, shirts. How much, how much uh, time's left on those shirts, Chris? Like two weeks. It's, it's, yeah. I'll go check. And, right and how, yeah, I was going to say, this is, this is one of those things, you it's guys. It's like 13 days, I think. Remember, that one. there's not going to be another one, one of these shirts. Nope. This is it right this here. This is a limited edition. One week, five days. We've sold 673. We're at it. We have a goal of 754 to unlock them. Now, here's the thing. The goal will be reached. You don't want to be left out. You think it will? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so at this point. You don't want to be left out because yeah. if you're left out... You're not going to get a coin for one thing. You, know, you won't get a coin. Or a shirt. Or a shirt. Yeah. And not only that, you want, you don't want to be that guy at Linux Fest Northwest oh. if, if you're coming out. Because here's the thing. What or a maybe cha- just in public. A cha- Here's what a challenge... <laughs> do you guys know what a challenge coin is all about? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Tell me right now. Go ahead. All right. Me. So let's say, for example... You're you're at a, a nice establishment to have some drinks. Let's say like a swanky uh, beer joint where I walk in. There's wood paneling everywhere. Picture it, Sicily, right. 1982. You've got dark mood lights, uh, smoke in the right. atmosphere. Yep. I sit yep. down with you know a gruff look on my face. You have I order former a beer. baristas that yeah. are now working the bar. Right. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm picturing it right now. All right. You got a nice picture. In your yeah, it's great. Looks All right. Comfy. So so some of your Linux buddies they right. come in from the from the show. Right. You know, hey, they they had a long day walking. But how the floor. do they know it's really me? 
Well, they know the beard. Well, I mean, what if I shaved? Well, you're wearing the shirt. And my hair's messed up. You're wearing the shirt first off. Okay, that'd be a clue. So, so they walk over to you. They say, hey, Chris. And you're like, hey, guys. Hey. And you reach and in I your gotta pocket. And I got to find out if they are actually in. Right. Like, do right. they know? So you reach into your pocket. Right. And then you pull it out. Yeah. The coin. Right. And then you put it down. <laughs> slap you, it down on the table. And you slap it on so the I, table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what if you're that one guy that doesn't have the coin? You know what happens oh, to you? Do you know what happens to you? No. You're buying the drinks for oh, the whole group. Geez. That's what the challenge is. The challenge is you I need see. to have the coin. I see. So it's, so if I get a Jupiter Broadcasting last 300 shirt and a challenge card, I'm actually saving money. You're saving money. Gotcha. It is a it is a benefit. It is <laughs> it is one of those things. You know, yeah, forget I the hired you shirt marketing chase. That'd hey, have been great. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so we've got um, so coming up on the show today. Not only are we going to talk about how to Linux, uh, but I, I did an interview yesterday uh, with uh, Brendan, who is. Working on an, on a new distro called Clementine OS, uh, it's based on ParOS. And if you might remember, ParOS was shut down after it was bought by another company, shut down, and then Clementine OS was sort of like the phoenix rising out of the ashes of ParOS, and then it got into some legal trouble. A lot of speculation, including was Apple behind it, was floating around the web. We didn't cover it because we didn't know the whole story, but we got a chance to talk with one of the guys behind that whole thing. So we're going to talk about that. And, uh, and what, what I got from the interview, when I walked away from it, was like, oh, this is a warning now that if you're thinking about getting into making your own distribution, there's a whole new class of stuff you have to think about because of the size of the overall Linux ecosystem. And I think it's I think if nothing else, walking away from this interview, that's what I took with me. So we'll play that in a little bit. But as is tradition, gentlemen, we should start with our feedback. And uh, there is a great a great clip that was sent into the show by Jacob. We were recently talking uh, on Last and on Unplugged about the high amount of commercial development that is now uh, um, behind the Linux kernel, and that only 20% of Linux kernel development is done by quote-unquote volunteers. Well, Jacob linked us to a great talk held by Greg KH. Now, if you're not familiar with Greg KH, uh, not only do his, does his last name initial sound like kernel hacker, but he's a longtime <laughs> kernel hacker, so it works out really well. And he was holding a talk recently, and he talked about this phenomenon where a lot of commercial companies are behind Linux development, and uh, I'll play it because uh, uh, Jacob linked us right to it. Who's doing the work? Other people have reported um, 80% of the work done in the Linux kernel is done by companies, paid contributions. Some people think it's a bad thing. I think it's really good that 20% is done by people who aren't paid. This is their hobby. The problem with that 20% is if you start doing patches, you will get hired, and that will be your job. hey <laughs> This used to be my hobby. Now I have no hobby. <laughs> <laughs> other kernel developers have known to burn out and start other hobbies, and then they turn that into a company, and then they go back to kernel development. It's happened a lot. Um, I think that's a great point. That's essentially the point he makes there is if you are a hobbyist and you're doing this, and you're actually good at it, and you're working at that level, at the, at the Linux kernel level with guys like Greg and Linus Torvalds, it's likely not going to be a hobby for very long. And that's True. a big part of why this, you know, there is a small amount of hobby developers on there because... Like he said, it's and it makes sense too. Like you know, you see it in a lot of things. Whenever somebody starts as a hobby, I, I started podcasting as a hobby, and now I do it as my, as my day job. And uh, it is true in a sense too that I don't really have much of a hobby anymore. Yeah, <laughs> so, that happens to you though. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, it's it's just the it's just the way of things. But I great point and a big thank you to Jacob for not only finding that talk but for linking us right to that time so we could share that with the rest of the audience. Okay. So uh, Roy writes in, he says, uh, I've got some ideas on why Linux is having troubles in the enterprise, which I didn't really feel like this is a big problem, but he's talking about specifically on the desktop. He's not talking about uh, on the server. He says, hey, Chris and Matt and Assembled, 
esteemed mumble room attendees, and of course, Chase. Oh, yeah, yeah of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I see that he said that. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to comment about a topic you guys discussed in last week's Linux Unplugged about what could possibly be the reason that the Linux desktop did not get into the enterprise yet. So the obvious reason is the business application support, but web-based applications tend to allow enterprises to provide the business applications via all the browsers. However, the most critical business applications that uh, business enterprises use, Linux has failed to deliver, is a decent mail client, quote-unquote, that works with Exchange. This is the first entry point to the enterprise. We need a mail client that will be able to sync with Exchange. Let's Let's take mobile mail apps. The only reason mobile mail is getting into the enterprise is that the mail client is able to sync up with Exchange. And I would agree that was a critical feature for Android and iOS. He goes on to say... For any other business application, even a native one, there's a decent solution like Zen Desktop. But if I can't get to my own mail client to run natively on my Linux desktop, what's the point of the Linux desktop at all? Keep up the good work. Roy. Boy, well, you know, there's two things to consider here. First of all, no one's, um, you know, the, the business you're working with, if you're using Exchange, you can use the web client. Actually, if you use it within Firefox, it's actually, even under Linux, it's actually quite usable. Yeah, and the later versions, too. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. The later versions. Now, older versions of Exchange, um, it's not pretty, but it does work. And that is to use Evolution and the Exchange connector. Right. Uh, and and, that, and really emphasizing it's not pretty and really emphasizing older versions because it's definitely pretty hit and miss. Yeah. Not really a great solution, which brings me back to going back to the web client. Honestly, you know, if you're going to be in an exchange area, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could run Outlook in like a VM or something. I, it's just, yeah, or it's crossover messy. or something. Yeah, because I mean, I work for Microsoft Shop and I use Exchange all the time in a, in a browser. It's not really that bad. Chase, have you, when you worked at Nielsen, did they use Exchange there? Were you an Outlook oh, user? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was heavily embedded and we also had to use them. Uh, it was just so embedded that we used it on our Blackberries and yeah. then onto the iPhone. Yeah. I mean, it was oh, just yeah. like, it's so, so ugly. And I wonder, um, is that going to be the case? For, I, you look at like Google Apps and uh, Zimbra Mail and a lot of these things, I, to me, Exchange seems to be the solution for a lot of people that want a, a local mail system. But as a lot of people go with a hosted mail system, Exchange just seems like one of the many options. But when you abstract away the actual hardware yeah. and you're not managing the software and you're only interfacing it with some sort of remote sync protocol, it doesn't have to be Exchange anymore. No, it doesn't. No, there's sure. many different options out there now. So it might not be something that in the long run matters as much, but it definitely exists today. And I could see like if you have to emulate your one of the programs you use the most, it, it is kind of silly to then use Linux if, you, if you're stuck with that. So I see what Roy's saying. I don't know. Yeah. I, think, I think what we can identify, especially through all the feedback that we've gotten is there's a lot of little things, or in some cases, they're not so little. But it's not one thing. It's not Outlook. It's not um, AutoCAD. It's it's not any one particular thing that's holding it back. It's everybody has something that they've built around the Windows platform that they just now have as an expectation of doing business. But all of those things eventually in technology sunset. And so Linux will be there. That's true. Although it's really tough to get through to a Microsoft shop. I found that it's very challenging to try and actually get through that because it's like, well, you know, we could go that way, but we know what, we know what to expect if we go ahead and suck it up and pay the licensing. Yeah. That, that's yeah. the problem. That well, I'm and we got these to. guys here and they yep. know how to do it already. Exactly. Yeah. If we ever want to fire them because we don't want to pay them enough, we can just hire some other Microsoft guy to come in here and run this for us. And it's cheaper to pay the licensing and the retraining our existing folks. And I mean, I think that's a lot of it too. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, I think there's, um, I think that there's that's part of the momentum equation that Windows has on the desktop and server and enterprise is that staff momentum. You have staff you know training. What? Yeah, but but to be fair here, you know, here I am going to be doing a how to Linux show. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm the one of the the minority who has a freaking open mind about 
becoming retrained and becoming cross-trained and learning more about more operating systems. You know, there are a lot of Windows guys out there who are just so focused in on Windows. It's like, you know, F everything else. I'm a Windows guy. I'm like, yeah. Whatever happened to being educated and right. learning about everything else? And not to offend, not not to offend everybody in the audience, but I also see the same thing happen with Cisco guys, where they get Cisco mm-hmm. trained and then they're they're, they're just so focused. They're in- so focused on Cisco, they can't see outside of the Cisco product space, and so everything's a Cisco brand, everything's a Cisco solution, a Cisco implementation, and uh, and, and there is. There is something to becoming an expert at one thing and really deeply understanding it, and then. And, and but at the same time, I, I feel like it's a little better if you can zoom out a little bit and, and generalize a little more and sort of see new trends and sort of take advantage of new technologies. It, it should be honestly about using the best tool for the right. job. There you go. Regardless of operating system and software package. I completely agree. Speaking of the best tool for the job, this would be a great spot to mention our sponsor this week, DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and take advantage of our promo code Linux Unplugged February. It's only going to be working for a little bit longer. February's almost over, actually. It's over Friday. Yeah, that's not true. They'll keep it working for you. Linux, oh. <laughs> DigitalOcean loves you guys. But seriously, if you don't know about DigitalOcean, they're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds, although our community's gotten that down to 44 seconds. And pricing oh. plans start at only $5 a month for, get ready for this, Chase. What? 512 megabytes of RAM. What? A 20 gigabyte SSD. No. A CPU. And this is the part I love. A terabyte of transfer. Jeez, man. I know. It's just a fixed cost. You know exactly what you're going to get. You know exactly what your bill is going to be. The value is right there. It's super simple. And by the way, DigitalOcean also has hourly rates if you want to test an application. I recently put up a Pastebin competitor on there. I've got a BitTorrent sync for all our unfiltered supporter shows. Nice. I got a calendar I'm throwing up on there. And uh, I've been getting uh, uh, emails from folks in the audience telling me what they're using it for. I'm getting all kinds of great ideas like an uh, people are throwing up their XMPP server on there. Another guy's got his personal resume up there. It's kind of like an interactive website. There's tons of great things you can do at DigitalOcean because they have this droplet system where you can deploy a droplet of like, you can take an Ubuntu 12.04 machine with Apache and MySQL are ready to go or an Archbox or a Scentbox or a Fedora box with Docker pre-installed. Then you can load up your own Docker images that you've built locally on your own machine. It's really great. And if you use that promo code Linux Unplugged February, they'll give you a $10 credit. So you can try out that $5 rig for two months. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Amsterdam, and Singapore. Their interface is simple. Their control panel is intuitive, and power, use, power users can replicate that control panel with their straightforward API. So go use the promo code Linux Unplugged February over DigitalOcean.com. See what I've been talking about. It's so cool to see Linux technologies be utilized by a company like this. They pair it with Tier 1 bandwidth. They put it on top of some SSDs, and they really let KVM rip. They got them super tuned in. It's really great. It's an awesome experience, and super great forward, super easy to manage. DigitalOcean.com, Linux Unplugged February. Go try them out. Get that $5 rig for two months. Nice. And, you know, it's a great training ex- experience, too, because this, this imaging system system lets you back it up and if you screw something up you can restore right back to it just like you could with like VirtualBox or something. Yeah. Only this is a real machine up in the cloud that you can throw things at test in production. It's awesome. DigitalOcean.com, Linux Unplugged February and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Woo-hoo. Nice. So uh, speaking of transitionary technologies uh, Dwayne wrote in with a response to something our guest last week, Michael Hall said, uh, where uh, uh, he wrote in, he says, Hi Chris, Matt and Chase. I really enjoyed episode twenty. What's that say right there? Wait, it does. Say, it, it does say Chase. It does say Chase. It does say Chase. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he says it's there. He says he said he really enjoyed episode twenty-eight. It was an it was eye-opening. Michael made a point about the major players not having identical versions of their operating systems on both tablet, mobile, or the desktop, except for what Ubuntu is trying to do. 
this is about to change quickly for Android. I recently downloaded Android x86, and it runs well on my laptop, which is a Dell Inspiron M5010 uh, with an AMD 2 gigahertz triple-core processor, 4 gigabytes of RAM, and a 500-gigabyte hard drive and an AMD 4200 graphics. He says, with more work, I can see it as a real quick OS to go to for anybody with an Intel or AMD-class processor with an NVIDIA, ATI, or Intel graphics. As long as you have a Gmail account, you're good to go. And it's at, uh, we've talked about it before on last, but you can find it at android-x86.org. Uh, Matt or Chase, have either guys, have either one of you played with the Android x86 project where you can actually download like an no, ISO? No, I have not. No, I've very uh, downloaded it, but I never actually installed it because I was toying with the idea, but I found that there's certain limitations to it as far as uh, what you can do with it. So yeah. I, it's something I want to dive into. At some yeah, point. I, I uh, I've played with it a little bit, and um, you know, Android is just really not meant for a desktop. Uh, no. I could see it. Well, Maybe it was, with it was like tried a before, wasn't? Yeah. Uh, didn't like Motorola have their what was it, Atrix, right? Yep, yep. Where you could dock the it dock. and it becomes mm-hmm. a computer and mm-hmm. a phone all. In but one. they they heavily modified the UI in that use case. Yes, they did. Um, and so you know, and this is the sort of the secret sauce to uh, the Ubuntu Touch approach is this UI transmogrification when you switch into the different use cases. Look it you know? up, kids. You got the uh, the transmogrifier that sits in there. It's a kernel <laughs> extension. Uh, you got to compile it. Um, or use DKMS if you uh, just want to, uh, you know, just be able to update your kernel on the go. It'll just rebuild your uh, module for you automatically. And then when you plug it into your TV or your laptop or your whatever it is, it just transmogrifies, right? Don't have that right. Transmogrifies. Yeah, I, think I got that right. Yeah, uh, and I think that's a little bit better of a solution. But we'll see how far they can close that gap. If they could, what the question will be is: Our desktop. This is my main concern, and we'll see. Our desktop applications in that perfect world gonna live in this uncanny valley where they're not quite a desktop app but they're not quite a mobile app and they're just not quite there yet and it's kind of hard to really put your finger on what's not quite there about it yet but you can just kind of feel it we'll see if that ends up happening if they can avoid that scenario i'm looking forward to it but i i android x86 i think for that to take off google's not going to make it happen it's going to take a company that could really own that and 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 unfortunately have to put some kind of ui on top of it and then would you even get google to stamp it with their Google mobile services. Never going to happen. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. No. Not unless they got some really big player who was really like buddy-buddy with Google. Yeah. All right, well, uh, why don't we do a little uh, Valve update? Ooh, yes. First thing is not that the Unfilter, or Unfilter show. Chase, <laughs> look at you making <laughs> me say now. See, yeah. this is what happens when you only have me here for Unfilter. <laughs> oh, now look. I, oh, getting crap. I'm getting crap. <laughs> uh, no, I was going to say we don't try to break news on Unplugged, but we are going to break a little news today because Portal 2 has just come out. Portal 2 beta for Linux was released today. Uh, you can go check it out. And uh, on the on that whole Valve uh, vein, uh, Anno wrote in. He said, like to, I'd like to comment on the VAC topic from last week's show. Now, we covered this last week, this little DNS hashing scanning that Valve was doing, trying to catch people cheating Valve games. He says, I manage a medium-sized game server, and we have been fighting hackers and cheaters for years with a VAC-like system. These cheats usually work at a low level by injecting their code into the game memory, so you either have to combat them at this level or detect them higher up and target their specific behavior. In this case, it was DNS entries. The inherent problem of all the anti-cheat systems is you can't have an open you can't open source them or disclose too much information about them and what they actually do because hackers would use this information to implement a workaround. If Valve said they check your DNS cache loud and clear hackers would only need a few days to change their cheats and not two weeks instead you'd probably agree to this in the fine print you signed up when you agreed to the steam terms of service on the end at the end of the day 
You have to ask yourself whether you'd rather play games with cheaters or allow Valve to scan your computer in questionable ways. Personally, I'm completely fine with this because playing against cheaters frustrates me to no end. Best regards. I know. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite know where to fall down. I, I'm not comfortable with Valve scanning my DNS cache. I'm not either. I mean, but at the same time, you know, if you're doing anything kind of weird, you should probably use a different computer. <laughs> just, well, just put that out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about so much that. I just don't like the principle of it. It feels like an invasion of privacy. But what, well, is, th- what is the solution here, though? I mean, mm-hmm. well, what is A dedicated it? computer for Valve. I mean, really, I mean, I think yeah. that's... Sandboxing? Yeah, sandboxing would be okay. I don't know. Maybe. I, 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 it, it, see, it feels like this is actually a limitation in the underlying operating system's privilege model and not maybe necessarily – and so and, – and the only solution for companies like Valve is to come up with their own um, ways to sort of circumvent those limitations. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I understand this is what they have to do and maybe this is just the, this is just the trade-off gamers have to make is – Okay, my games are going to be wrapped up in DRM. Um, okay, I can't. I don't quite own them. They're actually stored in some sort of cloud storage that lets me install them when I want to, assuming my account hasn't been closed. Okay, I'll buy off on on those things. I'll I can accept those limitations. And now you're asking me to also accept the idea that well, this last week it was DNS cache scanning, but how long until it's all the processes running on my box? Or well, now we need to watch your network packets because we need because now they're being really tricky and. Yeah, where did we draw the line? Because yeah. it seems like reading DNS cache, I realized they were just hashing it and then sending a hash to Valve. I get that. But where do we start saying, okay, that's too far? If we're okay with the DNS hashing, what are we not okay with? Screen grabs, just straight up screen grabs of my machine. Do you need to monitor my machine when I'm not playing games so that way you can catch me installing the cheat before I ever run the game? Is that what we're going to come to? Well, you know, like Punkbuster, a great example is that actually takes screenshots of gameplay. Yeah. You know, so that that well, kind of situation's already been happening to gamers for a long period of time. Well, okay, so at what point do they need to analyze every setup.exe that runs on a Windows box? Well, they do that. They actually Punkbuster actually yeah. does monitor what you're running in the background. It's yeah. so creepy. Yeah, I think it's I been like doing it. that for a long time, hasn't it? It's been it? doing it a long time. You know what I say it's to that? Come back. Uh, go ahead. Get it out of here. <laughs> That's what I say to that. Yeah. That is that is and, no good. And, you know, and see, it's for myself, it's the same way. It's like, okay, TSA kind of thing. Don't like TSA. I don't fly. I mean, there's nothing I can do about it at this point. I think it's the same thing here. I can either not use the game yeah. or, you know, or I can set up a dedicated it. box. No, do what yeah. I do, man. I just get the $50 fast pass, and uh, TSA <laughs> does not uh, raise you. Does Valve you offer through. a $50 fast pass? No, unfortunately, they don't. Right. Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, yeah. Enhanced well, driver's license. Yes. I just wish they could be. I realize the they DNA. can't because of the nature of what they're trying to combat. Yeah. I just wish they could be more transparent about what they're doing. But the, but the, yeah. Yeah, the transparency is the key. That you know, people need to know exactly what they're doing. But then again, it goes back to the whole thing. If you give out too right. much information, right. then the hackers know what to do. Right, and it is kind of a marketing buzzkill. Say, hey, this is great. By the way, we're, we're totally scanning <laughs> yeah. your stuff. Yeah, that is uh, that, that's not know. a great bullet point, is it? No, no, it really isn't. I mean, from a marketer's point of view, that would just suck. You know, the other thing, like Danny Tech is saying, is there's this is why things like the humble bundle and. This is why it's really important that Valve doesn't own this entire thing because even though they're they're you know we like them today when they have SteamOS they can they can go even further than they have in the past yeah. and you know it's good to have alternative options. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. This is true. All right, well that concludes our Valve update. Yes. I just wanted to I wanted to have an excuse. I got to go. I got to go play some Half-Life real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be back later. Yeah, it does kind of make me want to play a game when I hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, before we get to the how-to Linux discussion, why don't uh, we uh, play my interview with uh, Brendan, who is working on Clementine OS, which is kind of on pause right now. 
Uh, so we'll play that, and then uh, we'll come back. So he's I'll have links to this, too, in the show notes if you guys didn't catch all of the drama that went on. But if you guys remember, this happened about 30 days ago. The developer of ParaOS posted on Google Plus that the Mac-like distribution had been sold to another company, and as part of that sale, could no longer be downloaded. So then from that, the Clementine OS project was started. Brendan was an enthusiast and an advocate for the distribution. He wanted to sort of continue it in his own way with some modifications to make it better. And he received a letter from an American company that forced him to abandon the project. He li- he did later say it wasn't Apple, but there were still some people that thought it might have been. So uh, he joined me yesterday to get the details on that. I wanted to get you on because, you know, a little while back, there was a few stories going around on the net that I didn't really feel like we got a good picture on what was actually going on. And uh, I thought maybe we could start there and then kind of work our way out. So uh, were you one of the guys that worked on ParaOS or worked with the ParaOS project? No, I just uh, was using it like the OS uh-huh. and got discontinued. So I wanted to continue the project. I see. So it was uh, so what you were creating was sort of uh, a con- you took the you essentially cloned a lot of that project and started your own OS based on that. Yes. Okay, and that was called or is called Clementine OS, right? Yeah, and it was uh, Clementine. Then we had trouble. So then, well, now when I say Clementine, I replace the C with the K now. Okay. Or, Clementine music player. So this is still around and it's still alive. Um, it's right now. It's just a private thing for just me because, um, the site I had um some apparently copyrighted uh, files and stuff of ParaOS and uh. got into some legal issues. So can you tell me a little what happened with those uh, legal issues? Was it okay. well? We had um, if you went to our download page in ParaOS, we had the same exact download. CD cover and everything. We just replaced it with our images and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, that was fine. But then when we went and were trying to replace the other images, when we uh, pictures of like the laptops running the OS, we tried cropping out the screenshot built in and cropping one of ours over it. And it didn't really work. So we just posted it with their screenshot and it had the pair logo and kind of got into the legal issues there. Now, and then the- were you, to clarify though, were you, were legal issues brought to you from the ParaOS project or by the company that bought ParaOS? The company that bought it. But you I can't can say not. who they are, right? No, I can't. Is it a company I'm familiar with? Yeah. Uh, if you're in the Linux world, yes. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, so, and I don't think it's been made public who bought ParaOS, but so that company contacted you and said, you need to stop using our branding. Yeah. They like, Got an email and it was from a lawyer, all legal issues and terms. And I was, so I just immediately took it down. I didn't want to get in any trouble. I see. So they're not necessarily taking up issue with Clementine OS. They're more taking up issue with uses of their assets. So does that mean the project might not be dead? Um, it's actually trying, working on trying to get more, uh, some, um, coders into it. So yeah, I'm trying to bring it back. Okay. All right. It's so a hundred percent dead. So uh, I think, you know, a lot of people might remember ParaOS. It looks a lot like, uh, um, uh, uh, I guess, OS ten. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, is, is Clementine OS or Clementine going to, with a K, going to be essentially continuing that transi- uh, tradition? Yes, but we're probably going to go with a different look than what Pear did. Yeah. Like, give me a hint. Um, well, it's going to use the latest GNOME and... Uh, 14.04 based, but it's going to have the same window style and everything, but it's going to have kind of like an elementary OS bar clear, but it's going to have oh. the our Clementine logo and stuff where the pair used to be. So but you 
what is it that like current distros on the market today lack that you feel like you know so when i think of something like this i think of for example elementary os uh what would you say those types of distributions lack that inspire you to go on and go out and create your own distribution well what i think it lacks is um when i try installing elementary os everyone says it's stable when i try installing on any of my systems i always have issues (laughs) it it, it just it does not work i have tons of issues with it so it's that old i got i got an itch and i need to scratch it problem yeah, so it takes a bunch of configuration to get it working, and a lot of people, I, I think it's from, and my grandpa, my dad's side, he's a, into Linux, and he thinks it's because it uses an older kernel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that's where a lot of people think it's at. Yeah. Um. So I want to try to have the latest kernel on this. Always have the latest. So you still have, would it be built on top of Ubuntu? Yes, but okay. I will update the kernels myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds pretty interesting, uh, and it's it's been a story that hasn't quite exactly faded away, so it's good to get a little idea of what happened around the whole ParaOS situation. And and the one thing I think all those distros lack is where ParaOS filled it in was like all of its easy-to-use programs. Like yeah. a lot of people have issues with PPAs, adding those in terminal. Well, they introduced a P- program called PPA Manager and right. added and removed and installed programs with ease. And, and all that's I GPL code, code, right? Yeah, that's all yeah. TBL. So yeah, we are going to recreate those programs. Yeah, good. Our own image. That was an interesting idea. I, that's a great example of something that ParaOS brought to the table. Aside from the aesthetics that look a lot like the Mac, is that it mm-hmm. had it was solving some of these gaps. And other distributions have attempted, like Mint has attempted to solve these problems too. But so it sounds like you know one of the things I really wanted to get the bottom of is, in this conversation is it doesn't sound like um, they were necessarily going after you for having a clone of the distribution, but just for art assets that are being used. So it sounds like if you guys get everything in place, you're in the clear to continue development. Yes, and that's why we changed the, n- the name. We just put a K in front of it because we also got legal notice from the Clementine Project for the music player. So <laughs> we kind of changed the name real quick, and they're they're okay with it. We emailed them with the name change, and they said, you can keep the Clementine name. Yeah, just replace it with a K. We're okay with that. So that worked out. Oh, good. This is a fair warning to anybody thinking about launching into this kind of stuff. You, you gotta go. You have to think about everything before you yeah. name it and yeah. all this. You have to you have to Google if there's any names out there. Right. Already. Exactly. Yeah, you really um, do. You got to be careful. Well, yeah. uh, good. I just wanted to kind of get it. You know, uh, the story straight. Is there anything else you want to touch on before I run? Um, no, I don't. I don't think the one thing is I want to say is everyone thinks keeps saying Apple bought it and they did right. not buy it. Right. Just to say that. Not Apple bought. Now, did you feed that a little bit by making a joke online? Did you did you crack some jokes that people kind of took uh, too seriously? People on the Paradise community were, uh, <laughs> oh, Apple bought it, and then posting things to articles like Apple bought Paradise. Right. I'm sitting, yeah. I'm like, yeah, it has nothing to do with Apple. They're yeah. not big enough. They would have to be bigger than Ubuntu, and they're not. Yeah. Um, well, I, I I thought that might be the case, but that was pretty funny the way that kind of lit up online. So it's yeah. good to get that clarification too. Just rumors. Yeah. Very good, sir. Well, thanks for coming on and clearing things up for us. All right. So I wanted to. The, I thought the, the sort of the takeaway I had from that chat was, holy crap, it's harder to make a distro these days than uh, uh, you know than it used to be. And you see, he stepped into an art landmine. He got, and then he got contacted by another project in their name. And none of it's all that surprising in retrospect, but right. it's something you definitely got to think about. And I think a lot of people they sit down to make a Linux distro, they don't really, they don't consider this kind of stuff. I don't know. Well, 
I think the main thing to really consider here too is that it's a little bit like ripping DVDs. If you're doing it in the quiet, quiet uh, realm of your own home or your own home office or even your own office, you probably are fine. But as soon as you put that out on the internet for the masses, trademarks, copyrights, uh, various registered uh, stuff, you really do have to do your homework. And Google is not going to cut it. You'll actually need to really do a proper search. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more than just a Google search, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, well, before we get to the discussion about how-to Linux, I want to thank Ting.com for sponsoring this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. What is Ting.com? Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider and Matt's mobile service provider. Oh, yes. Rocking Ting for a while now. Here's how you get started. Go to linux.ting.com. You could be like Mr. Chase, who was just over here experimenting with the with the Ting Sim uh, just a few minutes ago. Yes. Pulling the Ting Sim out of my Nexus 5 and yes. putting it into his HTC One. So linux.ting.com will take $25 off your first device or $25 off your first month if you bring your own device. But let me tell you a little bit about what makes Ting so awesome. You know they have no contract. You know they have no early termination fee. It's true, Chase. It's true. And you only pay for what you use. $6 a flat rate plus taxes. But what's so awesome is that Ting dashboard. Gives you your usage. You You can manage multiple devices under a single account. You can get a snapshot of where each device is at. Even if you have a whole bunch of devices for like a company, they really make the billing super straightforward and easy to understand for one phone or for multiple phones. I have two phones in my ting line it's so easy so straightforward so you only pay for what you use. only pay six dollars flat rate and it's just my usage on top of that every plan includes tethering and hotspot i can set up device nicknames in the dashboard i can set up voicemail caller id hiding the caller id when i call somebody where where it forwards to when a phone number is busy all through their very simple dashboard including setting up like alerts like you know when i give my son dylan a phone i want to know hey if dylan uses more than a gigabyte uh, in a billing period, send a push notification yeah, to my Ting app. What's he doing on that? Phone? What's he doing exactly? Yeah. What's yeah. he doing? And, uh, and this is a great example of why it's so nice to have the Ting dashboard paired with the awesome Ting customer service. You can call Ting at one eight five five eight four six four three eight nine between eight a.m. and eight p.m. Eastern time, and a real human, not a robot, not a call tree, answers the phone. And here's a novel idea: that human that answers the phone. He's actually empowered to solve your problem. Nice. I know. It's crazy. Nice. And as a longtime Ting customer, now for over a year, what I really appreciate is the Ting blog over at ting.com slash blog, where they have videos posted frequently with, with Ting staff members. Uh, today, they put up an interview with one of their executives, Brad, what he thinks about making prepaid Ting accounts, where you pre-fill a Ting mm. account, and then you just kind of run through that. And he talks, so he hints a little bit about some cool stuff Ting has coming up, too. And I... I love staying informed and in the loop about the companies that I'm voting with with my dollar. I like to know what they're actually up to, and this is a this is a great example of how Ting keeps really keeps you in the in in uh, informed on what they have coming up. You're not sort of left up to a mystery. I actually feel like I kind of understand like their rationale, what their focus is, what their reasoning is, and that my I that that is empowering to me as the person making the decision to spend my money there every single month. That's empowering to me, and I appreciate that. You can go over to linux.ting.com to get started. That lets them know you heard about it right here on the Linux Unplugged show. You appreciate them supporting Linux Unplugged. It also gets you that $25 discount. And while you're over there, click that How Much Would You Save button. It's going to take you to a magical billing calculator, and they will estimate what your bill would be on Ting. And let me tell you, with those new reduced data rates, it's a better deal than ever. No contracts, no early terminations, early termination relief program, and much more. Get started by going to linux.ting.com, and a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring 
Linux Unplugged. You know, once I'm out of my contract, because right now I'm stuck in a contract. Yeah. Once I'm out, I'm jumping. You should. I mean, and if I want to make you, it happen. If, if you get the itch beforehand, they have that early termination relief. They'll look $75 per line. That's 75 not, and they'll and they'll apply it right to your that'll pay for like ting for like yeah, well, months. once i get to that threshold where i don't do have it, to dude. you, do you it. know that mm-hmm. i think it's like what six or 12 months out because you know they knock 10 bucks off yeah. every month you're they, they try to get you to stick with them for uh, a little while this the is worse and ting just is like you know we're not doing any of that no we're gonna get rid of that that's awesome all right so uh, let's bring in our virtual lug here and uh let's start a uh, little uh, around the horn uh, about uh, the how-to linux show we have coming we announced it in the last 300 and uh, we've got some work. We're, we're working on like several things at once with the show. Yes, a lot of a lot of work. Mo- I mean, more work that is being done in the pre-planning of this show than probably any other show that yeah. I've ever done ever. Every every new show I launch, it's 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 more and more every time. And what's crazy about this this uh, so this is kind of serving as like we're just going to put essentially uh, a lot of our ideas and concepts behind making this show on the record. That way, down the road, when this show has been out there for a while, people can go back to this and sort of get an understanding of its roots. And the reason I want to do this is I would be really thrilled if eventually How To Linux could be looked upon as a- another source of living Linux documentation, in a sense. So we have a sure. lot of options and outlets out there, you know, How To Forge, um, there's Stack Exchange websites, there's the Linux Documentation Project. There's Linux questions. There's all these sites, and they're all really good, and they all serve a purpose. I would like to not replace any of those, but add to those. Another medium, another way for people who are sitting down at the computer and they want to solve something. I want I want everybody who has no idea what Linux is to everybody who knows what Linux is and knows they can accomplish that task, and they just want to get it done. Yep. So to 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 to, to really understand how to solve that particular problem, what I realized is discoverability is going to be a huge, huge, huge aspect of this show. Because it's got to be people are like sitting down at YouTube and they're looking for a guide on how to do something. They're sitting down at Google. And I think part of that, I think a key part of that is going to be keeping it to a short length. Like I'm talking 15 minutes, no more than 30 minutes per episode. We're going to get to the point. We're going to show you how. Yeah. Because you want somebody who's like browsing a list of results. If they see an hour long show, they're going to look at that and go, oh, I can't. I got to get this problem solved. I can't burn an hour watching these guys jerk off in front of the camera. Right, they, exactly. I want my problem solved, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, just just mentally, that's a blocker where if you see 15 minutes on that video and this is a problem you want to solve, that's 15 minutes of time well spent. It's a totally different value equation in my opinion. Yep. yep. And every question that we bring to the table for this show, we're going to give it the, the same care and same quality as the next question, meaning we're not going to shortchange a question just because it could be a little bit more difficult, or a little bit easier. We're going to give it the same care. And that's that's the kind of envision that I have in my head for this show where it's going to be solid. It's going mm-hmm. to be good where you're not going to have to think about right. the If it's in the title, that's what you're getting. That's right? what you're going to get. Yeah. You're not going to have to search maybe halfway right. through the video to right. find the real topic. Right. It's yeah. going to be boom right in yeah. your face. Yeah, and I, I, the other thing I think combined with that, though, is I, I like the idea of – I don't know if these two things are at conflict, so I'd love to hear what the Mumble Room thinks about this. Uh, I also like the idea of a multi-part series. So part one, you take a topic, and then you break it down into chunks, and you say, here's the introduction. Here's starting at, at ground zero, like, you know, set up and pour your foundation – 
Here's the next part where you're now building on top of that foundation. Now here in part three, we're actually putting it in production. And then in part four, here's how you secure it, lock it down. And if you have it internet facing, you're not going to you know, expose your home network well, to attack. And, and this way, you don't have to worry about, all right, all right I'm you about- You can watch one piece yeah. if you're only interested in that one piece. Well, And you don't have to worry about, all right, well, I'm, uh, I'm about, what, 15 minutes in. All right, I have to remember where I was. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, when I come back and watch right. it, you don't have to worry about Or if about you decide, that. okay, I'm going to watch the building part, and then in a month, I'll come back and watch the securing part. Right. Uh, and so I don't know, though, and I, I'd like to hear the mumble room here. I don't know if uh, hmm. if these two things are at conflict. Is a super short show, but then also broken out into multi-parts? Do those things go together? Conflict if you do it in a, stre- in a situation where this, the multi-part series is not on, like, the, the a continuous basis. So, like, say you have – let's say the show's weekly. One week comes out with an, with an episode that starts a series – the next week is not the continuation of that series. Instead, there's a separate section on the website where you get the each video separated. So it's not like someone goes in and says, hey, I want to watch this, but then they see that that's not something they want to watch. They're not going to just skip a whole month of videos that apply to that series. I'm trying to track back. So what you're saying is, so a one week comes out, the, that, that episode is the introduction video, and all the other videos associated with it are released at the same time? No, they don't have to necessarily be the rest of the same time, but they should be all like on the same the same page or the same section. So the next week, it's not it's a different topic. So if someone's not interested in that topic, they won't just skip the continuous weeks until the series over. Okay, so Ick, how do you think YouTube playlists could play into this? Well, I think like if you have a multi part series, then you could go ahead and throw those into a playlist and have that playlist a part of the account. You know, what I'm saying where. People can go if they want to watch the whole thing. They can if they just want to watch a certain part of it, like the 15 minute segments you're talking about. Then yes, they could. They have that option. They could do it both ways. And Faye, you wanted to kind of mention it from a new user perspective. Well, when I was a new user, I didn't even know about the resources that exist in order to find how to solve my problems. And you kind of get directed towards the forums, and you may or may not get responses. And then you have to read documentation that contains a whole lot of jargon you're not familiar with. Yeah. So just having a video in the first place is was... When I started using Linux a few years ago, that was the best option for me. But most of these videos, they weren't very professional, and they were scattered. It's not like they did them for as a job. They just did them when they wanted to show somebody how to do something. So even if, I mean, uh, having a concise video is a wise choice, but even if they were a little bit longer, I think a lot of people would get benefit from it just because it shows them how to do something the right way the first time. Yeah, the the thing right. is, I, I think part of the reason why, you know, we've been looking at the particular time frame of 50 to 30 minutes is, you know, we're, we're very conscious of the audience and how, you know, people ha- have busy lives and, you know, they don't want to have to sit in front of their computer for an hour to watch a video or a how-to video. You know, you want to get to the point. And, you know, also attention spans sometimes can drift off after 30 minutes or so. So, you know, we want to we want to quick hit you. Um, and we're trying to figure out, you know, how do you do a large project and spread that out? I mean, obviously we're going to be shooting these. Yeah, we don't want to have to like skimp and like, right. and, like uh, yeah. and like sort of gloss over certain details. Because we could... I mean, if we're only going to give a, an entire topic 30 minutes, we could probably fit that into an episode of last. But we want to be able to feature something that, you know, just as, just as a total random example, but let's say it was, uh, you know, setting up 
a lamp stack, which I don't, I don't think would be top on our list, but let's just say that's, that's one of them. Wouldn't it be great to actually start at like at the very beginning, you know, get that system loaded up, get those packages installed, get those dependencies, get all that figured out, get your web server set up, get your modules figured out. And that's, you know, separate episodes. And then at the end of it, you secure that thing down. Um, and then maybe, okay, now this is more work, but the other thought that crossed our mind was when it airs, because really what we're trying to build up is a back catalog. So we're looking at this from the perspective of people are coming across this for years down the road, not just, you know, that week. But so it would air in a weekly basis. And at the end of that set, so maybe it's a three episode set or a four episode set of how to do something. Then one single video in like the, in like a master RSS feed of like completed episodes where everything is just in one long connected video could be published separately. So people would have an option to watch the individual stages as they come out, or they could wait till the end of the whole run and watch one contiguous video. You could say like, you know, episodes five through nine is about doing X, yeah. you know, things like right. that. And at the end of that run, they're all available as one single download or individually. Yeah. But if there's someone who doesn't have an interest in that particular topic, that means four episodes that they're not going to watch. Well, right. Well, and that's the thing though. I mean, we're going to be doing a how-to Linux show, and, and that's one of those things where we're going to run into, I think, regardless of what it is. Uh, right, but you, instead of having the four episodes where people are that one topic that people are not going to watch, you could have different episodes that they would have different topics that would get more people watching well, it. But how do you fix, have, how do you you fix the That's the nature of the show. I mean, this yeah. show is about how to do stuff, and people aren't going to be interested in a lot of it. That's but true. A lot of people if, are. If, yeah. But if you do a series in the sense of, like, episode five, Part one, part two, and part three. You still get the series uh, separation and the, the, the part separation, but you don't have to um, have a train of a month of people not being interested in the show. But at that, and they might forget it at that point too. But at that point, why even why even slice it up? I mean, if if you're going to do it in that route, say five A, five B, and five C, mm-hmm. there's really no point in slicing it up. It causes more work to be done in the production side and more work to be done in the actual shooting side. Right. And I, so, uh, so two things is I think the number one thing, which is, is just based on just experience is, uh, if you could like, if we, if we were developing an application and you could list out all of the features of that application, the number one feature has to be short length. I think just because that's like, like you're not getting, you're not getting a lot of people in the door unless it's short. So you kind of, so I think that's the number one hard point we're up against. And that's just based on discoverability data that I've just watched over the years. And the second thing to that, to that end is I, I kind of, I kind of feel like there is definitely that scenario where people are not going to be interested in the how to run for that period. But at the same time, I, I don't really see a great solution to that problem. It kind of seems like this is just going to be the nature of this kind of show because if you if you break it out like we're talking about, you not you're not you're not going to get around that. And the problem is is the benefit of sort of taking it slow is we could incorporate people's questions into the set as we're going. So that way, like, if we miss something in one set, by the time we're recording the next set, like the, you know, so say we we record episode one and two back to back. And then by the time we sit down to record episode three and four to continue that, we could incorporate people's questions and sort of make the how-to even better. But the other thing it lets us do is it really lets us give air to the topic and really let it, like, let's look, if we had to cram, I guess what I'm trying to say is if we could take one topic and and really just serve that topic for four episodes in a stretch, we're going to get to all the nooks and crannies of that topic. Whereas if we have to do a completely new set every single week, just the production demands of, of pumping that out will mandate that not as much time is spent on that topic. Uh, Chris, Chris, I would um, 
I know you thought about doing it with some another show at some point, but I ever thought maybe doing two parts per week, maybe like one on Tuesday and one on Thursday or something. Yeah, we are kind of considering that too. Uh, the production ends hot, is harder there, but it's something we're kind of kicking around is that might be a way to sort of speed the process up. Yeah. Um, also, um, you got to keep in mind too, uh, you might want to do very like distro-pacific things too, like make an entire series about one Pacific distro. So like you can have an entire like open related show, like doing like um build server stuff, like the things like that. And then uh No, I gotta ask gotta a, I gotta ask a question here. Obviously, you know, here's the noob of me coming into play. Would that be because you have a preference to that particular version of Linux, or is that because you think that would be a more generalization uh for the viewer? Because the one thing I want to be very, very careful about is saying, well, I think this particular version of Linux is better than this particular version of Linux, and then you have infighting for mm. people who will have their own favorite versions and distros. I've I, always kind of pictured rotating around. That's what I, yeah. I p- picture too. Well, well Popey, uh, wait, let Poby get a chance because he's been he's been wanting to say something. Go ahead, Poby. Oh, no, sorry, let me just interrupt playing Portal Two on Linux. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, hold on, hold on wait. a second. That gets a there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah very good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm inclined to agree with Rob. Actually, I I like the idea that you um, episode one starts a series on a particular topic, and you could do what uh, a lot of uh, I've seen Unity 3D demo, um, introduction videos and Minecraft videos do, where they uh, record for you know a significant chunk of time to give the topic mm-hmm. uh, plenty of uh, detail and go into real depth. Uh, but you break it up and you just break it up into 10 minute slots and you, you cut it and put it out as a playlist. Now the first episode goes out as episode one. And then as you've said, one A, one B, one C. Um, and then the following week, there's some completely different topic. It's not related to the previous week. It's, it's not a continuation from the previous week. There's no dependency on you having watched any of the previous episodes. It's something new and fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And that way you fulfill the being able to go in depth on a topic. You can punch out lots of episodes because you record it all in one long one hour stint, but chop it up into pieces. Um, so you, you know, you get the continuation of a playlist uh, and the thread of one topic. Um, but you also get the benefit that you don't have to keep recording lots of different episodes that nobody is going to watch because they're all on a theme that nobody's interested in. So question, mm-hmm. so question here. Uh, playlists are very YouTube friendly, of course, but remember, this is also going to be a downloadable show. Right. And so, if I, for example, my podcatching feed had, you know, one A, one B, one C, and one D, that's four things that are in my feed is instead of one episode. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so how would that be handled? I would. Uh... <laughs> like to you know kind of go against Popey's idea i would say if we're gonna stick to one topic a week do two parts one on like yeah one day and then another day of the week to see still get that community feedback and questions that you can answer as chris wanted to do yeah the problem is i don't want to have i don't want to have to wait a week to find out part two if this if this is an in-depth thing i don't want to have to you know I, i want the immediacy of being able to go into plenty of detail about the the entire topic if i have time to do it i, d- I don't want to have to you know have a, a 10 minute topic and then wait a week for the next 10 minutes that's i'm gonna zone out so Ick, why don't you chime in with sort of you had a, you had a comment about the nature of podcasting yes it's basically an on-demand medium so ba- what 
you're going to have is people picking and choosing what they want anyhow. Uh, whether, you know, they're going to want to watch this whole series on a particular topic, or they're going to want to skip over that and just wait for the next one. Sadly, you know, you're not going to be able to please all the people of the time with that. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, Q5, you had a comment about the distro. Yeah, I think if you use a distro, like let's say we're talking about how to set up um, Nginx and OwnCloud on a, on, a, on a box somewhere where we're using Debian as our example. We can run the whole how-to with using, say, Debian as the example. And then at the very end, have a short blurb that says, okay, now if you're using Arch, you may have to change you know, things here, here, here. Or if you're using Slackware, you, know, you might need to find Slack build scripts or other things. That way you can focus on one distro get the information out there, and then also touch on, if you're using another distro, here are some things you might want to take a note of before you go down the road. And, Fate, uh, you wanted to also comment about distros? Yeah, I was actually going to suggest the same thing. Uh, If you focus on one particular distro from start to finish and exclude uh, acknowledging other distros, then you're targeting a subset of a subset, and I I don't think that would be as beneficial to people as trying to be as all-inclusive as possible. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. So I kind of, you know, I love the idea of maybe like a sort of like a middle ground where it's you split it up, but it's two releases in a one week. The problem with that is right now resources. So that might be something we'd do, you know, maybe a couple of months down the road. I don't know, because um, that would require uh, probably that we have our editor in place. On the on Popey's point, instead of 10 minute segments, uh, when you're structuring the show and you're writing the notes, uh, you could um, write them as different segments, like you currently segment last right now, right? Mm-hmm. And then choose, you know, depending on uh, how many segments are available for that particular show, how you're going to do the release structure. I mean, it's it's one of those things for that maybe whatever. maybe the show. I mean, and this is right now; it's all very fluid. But maybe the show needs to be a full length show, not small. Mm, and I know I think that it's I think that's it's, a problem. It is a problem, but it's. I guess it all it all comes down to the topic at hand, right? Yeah, I, mean, I was just thinking like it's even the segment idea is kind of hard because like sometimes that part takes five minutes, and sometimes that part will take a half hour. Right. Yeah. And so and, that's. That's challenging. Right. I mean, I think obviously at the beginning of the show, uh, you know, I say episodes one through five, I doubt that we're going to get into anything that requires multiple parts. Because remember, this is a how-to Linux show. We're taking baby steps here. We're taking baby steps with me. (laughs) And (laughs) I, I, I don't see us getting into something that's going to require a, a baby step approach, at least in the beginning. Because, you know, remember, we're trying to appeal to a general audience, not just the advanced audiences, but also the people who are wanting to learn more about Linux. And if you're going to give somebody a five-step process for something to learn more about Linux, you might lose them already because they'd be like, wow, really? I need to go through a five-step course to learn about this particular thing that I want to do? I don't know. That's- I, I see. I think that's looking at it from the wrong angle. I think it's more going back to like what Ick was saying of the on-demand nature of it, where a lot of people look at it and say, "Well, I don't need. No, I don't need to know how to install a package. I know how to install a package. What I need to know is how to set up this part of it." Right. And right. I and I think that's the advantage of having it broken up a little bit is people can pick and choose the components that meet their skill set. Yeah, that's true. 
Well, it, like it, when it I'm looking up something for Kden Live, for example, that's actually something I've run into. I, I can use video editors in Linux six ways from Sunday, but there's always like that. It's always forget like the process of compositing. I always forget that, so I have to like look for that piece of it to remember how to do it. And I don't want to watch an entire show on it, so I think having the segment definitely helps. Okay, I kind of want to bring up this concern: is okay, playlists are very YouTube friendly, but what are we going to do when we put it on, let's say, the Jupiter Broadcasting website? Right. That's the yeah. I, I think I think basing yeah. around playlists is only gets you so far. Uh, I think that is a problem. Uh, SM, SMA, SSA? What did you want Smasa. to say? Smasa. 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 Yeah, Smasa. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say that you want this to be an archive of how to do different things in Linux. So I don't think you should really be that strict about how long each individual show is. Yeah. Like you should try to do whatever it is as fast as possible, but still be effective and leave that up to the topic. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's going to have to happen either way. I mean, I don't think like we could just cut it off if something was going long because the the content will always sort of drive that. And that's it, you guys. That's Thanks all for we have time. Yeah. Sorry, we really <laughs> want to show you how to get that started, but uh, we're going to have to But we ran out of film, uh, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. and the camera and the batteries. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, boy, I don't know. So it sounds like this is still something uh, I want to kind of try to refine because um, I, I think this is a key part to how to deliver this show. And I think part of it is, like, there's two audience we're trying to, trying to solve or trying to serve. One is the on is the weekly people that will want to tune in and see what we're working on, and the other was going to be the people who will be coming across the archive in a year from now when they're trying to implement that project that they want to get done. And it's too bad you can't do like chapter breaks like on a DVD, right? <laughs> no, no, yeah, we'll release could, each one as a DVD, could, and well, now you could release a over playlist to, file on the website in, included with like a zip or a tar jizz or something. Although, I mean, is this even a podcast <laughs> format? You had to say it like that, didn't you? <laughs> yes, tar, GZ, jizz, whatever. Okay. Okay, all right. All I, right, I, I, I somehow knew I'd get that response. I, it was not intentional, but... Um, hmm. Well, why, why not having it so you have one episode, say, the, the lamp stack. You have one episode about the introduction, and that gets people to say, this, is the, this, this episode's about this. And then on the show notes, there are multiple parts. They can jump to different posts. So they'd, hmm. they'd, everything's still self-contained in the one episode, but it's split up so people can see what they can get to the sections that they want to. And in this way, you could, you could benefit having it archived on the website and archiving it on YouTube and doing playlists and having it all... You know, organized however you want to on different mediums. That makes sense. It, it it kind of sounds to me like you want to fulfill two requirements. One, which is uh, have the people who are going to download a chunky video and will be happy to sit there and go through it and pause it and you know continue and uh, and jump ahead or go, whatever. Yeah. Whereas you also want the short attention span YouTube audience who will watch a ten minute video and then you know disappear and then maybe come back for the next ten minute video in in the. Uh, in the series, that's three ten-minute videos in a playlist, or one sixty-minute uh, video. So it's basically a sixty-minute video. You chop into three, put it on a playlist. You're done. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. I like what Popey was saying. Um, like for your actual website, you put the one final episode, and then you put the split parts on uh, YouTube. I don't even. I don't really. No, no, no. I don't really like designing any aspect of this show for YouTube. I don't even like thinking about yeah. it. YouTube yeah. makes me so frustrated. Uh, Riley's been trying to get a point in about production. Go ahead, Riley. Yeah, so that's what I was going going back to say about YouTube too. Is like you have to make sure the production is good on it, and you do keep people entertained because a lot of the shows like it's the people who are doing it are often like kind of weird sometimes. Yeah, my my observation, uh, you know, from the some that I've checked out is. <clears throat> They're too slow. 
Um, uh, and they're, they're, they're spending way too much time sort of with the introduction and, and the, and the talking about themselves and all this kind of stuff instead of just hitting the ground running. Um, and, and I really look at it from that, that mindset of somebody who wants to come in and solve a problem. And I really think that's the, the person that, you know, you know, in terms of who we can help and, and, and who we can provide, you know, more, more resources for people looking to switch to Linux. I feel like that's the person to serve, but I still want to make it palatable to everyone else too in some way so i uh, i think yeah go ahead i was saying you know this really isn't necessarily a podcast is this we don't really need to format it in a method that would go out to a podcast catcher or anything i we do i don't know i think maybe really? I, well yeah. maybe that's why i was thinking maybe still having a, a a final version that is you know sort of a, a longer show type format yeah well and i think from a podcast version the one of the advantages is that it allows you to build up your own personal library of stuff we know and stuff we're sharing so you may not even really need to watch that video right away but then later on think oh crap what was that one thing and then you have it stored locally some people do want that local media they don't necessarily want to watch it online yeah hmm all right well it sounds like uh, the world will do some more discussions but thanks for all you know thanks for giving us a lot to think about you guys that's that's good input to take there yeah absolutely around thank you uh, all right, well, we got an email from Todd. He wrote and says, Hey, guys, I've been going through this long experiment to get rid of Google in my life and trying to find Linux devices for mobile use is hurting me right now. I've settled on CyanogenMod for the time being, but Google has ripped so much, so much out of ASOP that it's really leaving a lot to be desired. Would you consider doing a call-out for feedback from people using Open Pandora or any of those crazy Chinese gadgets like or the Yolophone or something like that? Then you could share their feedback on the show and put it in the show notes. I really want to buy an Open Pandora 1 gigahertz model uh, but that's a lot of money to spend on something that might or might not work out. If a listener was able to give some feedback and on its use for messaging, SIP, and Linux apps in general, that'd make it a lot easier for me. So he's also going to post in the Jupiter Colony and on the G Plus uh, Jupiter Colony. Uh, well, I live in Kansas, so I'm trying to get more Google in my life. <laughs> the fiber kind, yeah. Uh, All right, so John wrote in, uh, call it the possible downsides of acceptance. He said, so I definitely agree that getting more people to use Linux is great for the desktop and Linux as a whole. But what if, say, for example, Canonical dominated the Linux space and slowly inched towards a closed-source system like Windows or Mac OS? Do you think that this is a potential issue? If something like that happened, then real Linux would be stuck where it currently stands, in which a big-shot OS that dominates the market would then enslave all of their users and all of the new stuff that Linux people are left out in the cold. What are your thoughts on this matter, John? So uh, I don't think this is really quite the same. I think I hear this comparison a lot, um, and I don't think this is really quite the same, and it really kind of comes down to the license, I think. Uh, I, mean, I think right. you look at companies like... Our distros like Mint and, and, and other things, it kind of proves that in a sense. So where, where Mac or Windows could come in and, and sort of brace and extend and then, and then dry out uh, all the competition, that's not really an option for things that are based on the GPL as much. It's a possibility, I suppose. But I then that would be the market deciding, right? This yeah, I think true. they're confusing the word, the joke about uh, Mark being a dictator with an actual dictator. <laughs> yes. Welcome to Putin OS. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Uh, but John, so I wouldn't worry about it. I think the license has shown that that, that if anything, things rise and fall, and the, and then at the end of the day, it's all GPL'd code, and uh, that's kind of what matters in the end. Mm-hmm. Well, lots to think about, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on the how-to show as well. And probably the best way to send us your ideas because uh, the the Linux Action Show inbox is 
is ridiculous right now. It's <laughs> I bet it is. Yeah, we got so many emails. But if you want to shoot your ideas to at HowToLinux on the Twitter, twitter.com slash HowToLinux, uh, we'll be monitoring that for ideas and suggestions. And we'll also be eventually posting uh, notifications when the show gets closer to launch. And when we're doing stuff, we'll be posting it there. Not a lot happening at the moment because the show is still obviously in, in the early stages, but uh, uh, that'd be a good spot to follow. So that way you can get updates, but you can also send us ideas, topic ideas, format ideas, and all that kind of stuff at how to Linux on the Twitter. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mumble Room, for uh, joining us. You guys were great as always, and gave us a lot to think about. And thanks to Brendan for writing in or for calling in and talking to me about the Clementine OS project. And Chase, thanks to you for joining hey, us. Hey, you know yeah. it's always fun being here. You know, it feels very comfortable for me to be here with you guys. <laughs> so thank you so much for having me here. Well, you yeah, keep that seat warm because uh, you'll be uh, sitting right there again tomorrow for unfiltered. Yeah, why don't you put that other chair together so I have a much more comfortable? Why don't seat? you put that chair together? Uh, come on, man, I'm in a folding <laughs> chair here, You're sitting in like my naked. I know. Well, this chair is no good either. This yeah. chair is no good. Yeah, fair enough. Well, uh, Matt, if all goes as planned on Sunday, we'll be chatting with one of the new uh, folks at the KDE Design Group who nice. uh, are working on the next version of the Plasma desktop to make it look even better. So that'll be a good Sweet. chat. And did you see, by the way, the uh, Numix folks made the official announcement about their new desktop they're going to be working so on? Awesome. You can find that on their G Plus feed and go check that out. Also, don't forget you can join us live on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. over at jblive.tv. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your own local time zone we also have our mumble room you join the chat room do bang mumble and you'll get the mumble server address and you can hang out in our virtual log and chat with us in real time and we have that open to everybody if you're working on a project and you want to spread the word just let us know and uh, we'll have uh, we have a lot of good stuff coming up we got a lot of good stuff in the way, in the works great pretty stuff excited in the way and don't forget to go to teespring.com slash last 300 get yourself a shirt and a challenge coin alright everyone well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged If we don't see you on Sunday, we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Bye-bye.